From somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. Oh yes, Mr. Rob Roop, and uh, I'll, I'll quote you here in a few moments on a story. Uh, it is me, it's Mike, it's Mike Davidson lives. Thanks for downloading this latest episode recording late on a Wednesday night. And uh, even though the, the, the room I record in is sound treated to prevent echo, uh, you might hear a little ambiance in the background uh, because I'm right next to a window and it's pouring cats and dogs as I speak, raining outside. Just another gloomy late January, January day in the state of Indiana. We're not going to see the sun until like late March. That's how that usually works. Um, but uh, pressing on, and uh, before I get too far into things, I uh, do want to brag up on my kids a little bit, just give you a quick update. Lana has her third loose tooth. Uh, she's already got two baby teeth missing, uh, and her big ones are growing in, so she's excited about that. But even better, uh, she is kicking butt in school, and I'm very proud of her pre-K. She, she does as she's told. She's very smart, very disciplined, unlike at home where, you know, she's kind of a butt. But <laughs> she really loves school, man. I was not that mentality growing up, uh, but uh, she's she's doing well. Hazel, um, she's been kind of sick off and on with some ear infections. I had to take her to the doctor, uh, Martin Luther King Day Monday. Uh, they're giving her some medication because they, they say her ears are clogged up. And uh, if that doesn't work, tubes. Uh, but uh, she's doing fine otherwise. She still finds energy. And speaking of energy, uh, the boy, Logan, he's going to be two in May. And this dude climbs into everything. And he's gotten to the point, like in our kitchen, he will take a, a table, a, a chair from the dining area, push it against the counter, and start playing with the coffee machines, like the water kettle and stuff, with boiling hot water. And I have to, like, you know, pull him away at least half a, to a dozen times a day. He's doing this before the age of two. And my dad said I used to do that a lot when I was a kid. I'd climb up on the cabinets and look for food. In fact, that even reminds me, like earlier this evening, I had to pull him out of the pantry because he just walked right in, reached up on the third shelf, pulled down a, a jar of chocolate-covered chocolate raisins, started uh, trying to mow on down on those things. That dude, that dude is crafty. Got to keep an eye on him. I uh, wanted to brag up uh, a little bit of uh, the book I'm reading currently. I'm going to be finishing that up uh, here by the end of the weekend. Mel Brooks, It's All About Me. I bought that back around uh, just a little before Christmas. little uh, Christmas present, Hanukkah present, if you will, even though I'm not Jewish. Uh, but I've uh, been loving it. Um, you know, some great stuff. He's talking about his love of Broadway and how he recruited from Broadway the likes of, um, you know, Gene Wilder. Uh, Madeline Kahn, Cleavon Little, uh, you know, stage actors that uh, transitioned pretty well uh, for his movies, for uh, film. And it's just, it's funny because he always wanted to be a Broadway director. Um, and he really didn't get taste for uh, the big stage until he was able to adapt the producers for Broadway with, uh, with Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. But, I mean, he got to be a comedy writer for Sid Caesar. He got to create a show as funny and as uh, as quirky as Get Smart, and then he went on to write and direct and act in his own movies. You know, like The Producers and Twelve Chairs and uh, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein. Just the list goes on and on and on. Um, 
I don't, I don't want to spoil too much about the book, but uh, it gets to the part where you know he's um, uh, making high anxiety, and he actually consulted Alfred Hitchcock because he did want to you know satirize his work, but he also wanted to pay homage to uh, Alfred Hitchcock because uh, even though he's a, a comedian, Mel Brooks is a big big film fan and loved Alfred Hitchcock, and so he and, and Hitchcock got to be pretty good friends. And um, I don't want to spoil it any. Uh, but there is a part in uh, the book where there, uh, Alfred Hitchcock suggests a joke to do in the movie uh, High Anxiety that Mel Brooks didn't do because it was too expensive. But I, when I read the gag that he wanted to do, I laughed out loud because I think that would have added even a little more to the movie. Um, but the one thing I really like about It's All About Me you know, it's you know, and Mel Brooks does like to take the spotlight and run with it and hold on to it for a little bit. But uh, he's not being a prick when you, in this book. I mean, it's it's a little tongue in cheek the title, obviously, but you know, he gives kudos where kudos is deserved. You know, he thanks all the people that have helped him with his movies and his work. Uh, he doesn't tear down anybody. It's it's kind of refreshing, unlike a certain book that's out on the um, uh, stands now that uh, bashes a certain family because, uh, you know, whatever. But that's the kind of book I want to read. I want to read about somebody who actually did something with their lives and thank the people that helped them do stuff in their lives and not bitch about everything. Prince <laughs> Harry. Uh, speaking of bitching, um, I, I will have, if it's not already linked up on the Mike Davidson Facebook page, it will be linked up soon. Um, you know, I, I don't have it up as of this recording, but I will try to get it up sometime uh, Thursday. But uh, there's this guy here in northeast Indiana who's uh, who's upset because I guess there's a bill down at the state house that wants to make the pork tenderloin the official state sandwich of Indiana. And this guy's got the hashtag, not my sandwich. This is the worst bill ever. And uh, he really does not like the pork tenderloin sandwich. And he's saying it's, uh, basically he's saying, it's not that it's not iconically Indiana. It's just not a very good sandwich. He actually says this in this little interview. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's a that's a condescending as hell type of thing to say. Okay, yeah, it's, yes, it's associated with Indiana, but uh, it sucks as a sandwich. And then I guess he uh, rags on the sugar cream pie. Uh, this dude's from the region, by the way, and that area more or less identifies more with Chicago than it does the Hoosier State, uh, as has been my experience with some individuals from that area. So it, it's not surprising he's got this take on it. By the way, the um, the uh, Wayne TV, the, the TV station here in Fort Wayne, that interviewed the dude does have a Twitter poll asking people if uh, the pork tenderloin sandwich should be the state sandwich and an overwhelming 72 percent said yeah as opposed to um, was it 23 percent yeah that, that, that's how that usually works mike that's how my math works uh I, yeah i don't think the pork tenderloin sandwich is my favorite sandwich of all time but damn it yeah i love it it's it's a, it's a good sandwich to eat in fact um you know, I know that the, the you know you flatten it, you bread it out, and it's just too big for the damn bun. Uh, when I, I lived down in Kokomo and I started dating my wife, um, there's a place down there, Cone Palace. They had uh, you know you could get it you know uh, flattened fried, or you can get it grilled, unbreaded. And I'll get the grilled, unbreaded pork tenderloin sandwich, and that thing was awesome. And you load that up with veggies? Are you kidding me? 
you do it right, it's a good sandwich. It's a great sandwich. Um, but this guy's just having a sad because um, we're, we're not all the foodies that he expects us to be in these here parts. He probably cringes at the fact that uh, here in Indiana we like to put tons of meat on our pizza. His loss. All right, so uh, moving on from that to uh, the NFL divisional rounds now being settled. Monday Night Football and the Cowboys thoroughly trashed the uh, the Buccaneers. I was actually surprised that that happened. Um, you know, it, it was it's been kind of interesting because when Dak Prescott got back from his injury, the Cowboys started to roll. Uh, but the big talk was his interceptions. And I tell you what, that dude played probably. And Troy Aikman said this during the game. This was probably the best game he's ever seen him play, and it was a clutch game for him. Unlike his kicker uh, Brett Maher. Who missed not one, not two, but four extra point attempts. This dude didn't even try a field goal. I mean, you know, and extra points are not that far away. This is in Tampa. It wasn't like it was windy or rainy. Dude missed four. He didn't make one until the fifth touchdown of the game. Uh, and, uh, you know, the pressure's on because I guess the Cowboys uh, just read this thing about an hour or two ago. They, they've signed a kicker off the practice squad. So... Uh, things do not drastically improve. If he misses one, I guess, against the 49ers, I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled him and put the kicker in place, That the uh, the practice squad kicker in place. Uh, that's going to be a huge game. I'll, I'll try to give some predictions here in just a matter of moments. I did want to comment on a couple of things, though. Uh, Tom Brady, uh, a lot of people are thinking that this is indeed the end. I... I know there's been some speculation about him going to places like Tennessee or Las Vegas, but, I mean, Jesus, I mean, as bad as this game was against uh, the Cowboys for the Buccaneers, does does Tom Brady really want to be struggling in the desert with uh, Josh McDaniels as his head coach? You know, 46 years old, come on. Um, he threw, like, 60 freaking times in that game, and there were some times where I thought, okay, yeah, he's still got the long ball, he can still, uh, uh, you know, throw a pretty decent pass, but there, there had to have been at least half a dozen passes that he threw, you know, in short field range where the ball got tipped. Like he's he's losing something, and it's it's inevitable, and it's inevitable that this dude's going to retire and have his own wing in Canton. Uh, but yeah, I just I don't see him going on another year. Especially now that uh, that would, if he did, it would be the start of a, a third season uh, from the last time he's won a Super Bowl. Is it worth the frustration? Um, also, I saw during uh, the Monday Night Contest the um, trailer for uh, Season 3 of The Mandalorian. All I can say is, please don't suck, uh, because uh, Book of Boba Fett was basically Mandalorian 2.5. That sucked. Uh, I stopped watching Obi-Wan Kenobi halfway through. I, I, I do love The Mandalorian. I love the simple premise that it's a spaghetti western in space. I just hope they don't make it too convoluted like they've done like a whole bunch of other things in Star Wars. But we will see about that. Um, and uh, finally, uh, the uh, I fell asleep during the Chargers-Jags game. I guess there was some bitching about uh, Al Michaels and Tony Dungy not being thoroughly ecstatic when it came to the uh, the surprise comeback of the Jags over the Chargers. I just want to point out two things. One, 
Tony Dungy's not necessarily a booth guy. He's a he's more of a back at the studio halftime pregame type of guy. He's he's analytical, sure, but he's not a very excitable guy. That's why he's in studio most of the time. He's not he's not a screamer. He's not a shouter. Any Colts fan will tell you that. And I'm sure some Buccaneer fans will tell you that. And as for Al Michaels, I mean, my defense of him is he's seen it all. He's done it all. And this past year, he's called some very shitty games on Amazon Prime, like some really bad games. So he might be out of the swing of things when it comes to excitement, okay? Don't throw a bitch fist, uh, fest about that. So, okay, so the uh, divisional rounds are set up. I want to go ahead and predict the AFC, Buffalo, and Cincinnati. <sighs> Man, I, I kind of wish this was the championship game, the AFC championship game. I'm going to go, I, you know, I'm going to piss Bengals fans off of this one. Bills. Uh, the Bengals win. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm just, I'm very excited about the game either way. But I want to go Bills, uh, Chiefs and Jags. I want to go Chiefs. Uh, San Francisco and Dallas. I want to go San Fran. And with Philly and New York, I want to go Philly barely. I just, New York's got this spoiler thing going. A little uneasy about it, but uh, those are my predictions. Please don't mortgage, remortgage your house because of that. Uh, by the way, uh, congrats to Jeremy Renner. Uh, he's out of the hospital and recouping now at home after a damn near near-death experience a couple weeks ago on his property where he got crushed by some the equipment. And, um, you know, there was all sorts of crazy rumors about things. Uh, uh, like he, he lost his leg or whatever. And, uh, you know, he's out of the hospital now, but he's still got a long road to recovery. Wishing the best for that dude. Um, makes me not want to do anything this winter when it comes to, um, you know, snow removal or pulling somebody out of the snow when I read that. Uh, but there's like a 911 call. The audio is like somewhere on the internet and I guess you can hear him moaning in the background. Somebody saying his, his breath's getting shallow and shorter. I don't think I want to hear that near snuff film experience. Uh, so I'm going to avoid that as much as possible. All right, uh, something I'm not going to avoid here, and I don't know if I'm going to delve much into it, because I, I've said this time and time again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Uh, if it ain't there, I'm not going to fill in the details necessarily with my vivid imagination, but uh, what is this, the 22nd time this has happened, the, the World Economic Forum in Switzerland. Uh, you know, you got all these... Uh, these rich smell me types, these uh, these bureaucrats, these business leaders, these politicians, these uh, these theorists and professors and whatever. Uh, basically, they fly in on a private plane, each of them, and they bitch about how uh, we're we're going toward disaster and only they can save us. And uh, you know, you're not supposed to make any conspiracy theories about it, even though they got like what fifty thousand. Or, or something like they have like thousands of armed guards in this city that they're at. Like, uh, it's like a mini Fort Knox out there. Um, I don't know what's going on with these people. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that they're quite at the specter level. I don't know if they're like James Bond villains. Yeah, I don't know if there's any blood orgies going on. And if there are, I'm not going to go look for them on YouTube. But this is the lesson I want you to take away from it. Uh, these people are highly arrogant. And even if they don't have the means to enact their world order, new vision, whatever, you pay attention to them. You pay hell. You pay attention to the people you elect to uh, DC or uh, Indy or 
even in your community because the things they say and do even in passing conversation even if it's just labeled as the rhetoric it's a wish list idea and I'll give you an example there's this dude um, he's like an MP over in Switzerland and he was talking about how like uh, if uh, if he could he would have in cities no car ownership you would like share cars with people which uh, if you've ever driven a rental car or a used car you know how how shitty of an idea that is and that there would be severe uh, punishments for any business that doesn't follow you know XYZ when it comes to uh, environmental regulation um, but you know that's just vague talk they he doesn't doesn't necessarily um, single out a particular business or industry he's just say this is what would happen this is what we would do and it's very arrogant because I don't know if this dude's ever been a business owner okay and and that's and that's what I'm getting at you don't necessarily have to go on to QAnon or uh, any of these weird internet places to go find these weird uh, theories you just have to listen to them talk and go okay do I really trust them to manage my life I'll do you one better <clears throat> all right where you work yeah I'm sure you've got a bot and I'm not saying your boss is an asshole or a manager but there's got to be at least one boss or manager there that you would not want to consult about wearing what to wear to work that morning or what to eat for breakfast or what should go on your uh, playlist your music your Spotify playlist or whatever you live your own life anybody who thinks they know how to run another person's life, especially somebody they have never met, is arrogant and is not to be trusted. That's just that's just a thing. You you have to be suspicious of people like that. So that's basically it. I'm not linking up any conspiracy theories, but I don't trust these people at all. All right. Now, as you know, um, I am a small-time podcaster, and that's fine. I, I don't care. I just, I love to do what I do, and I love to put ideas out there. Um, but uh, I got this article. I linked it up earlier on the Mike Davidson Facebook page. Um, and I saw some very striking parallels to, uh, to podcasting and my former profession. And they're not, and they're not flattering parallels uh basically this is in hollywood reporter and they're talking about podcasting's recession era but the way they they're just kind of a new speak uh kind of vibe how they wrote this sort of thing uh talking about how like a deal making is getting more selective among the big companies slower ad markets which means people are spending less money in ad revenue the deal making basically is, uh, you know, not buying as many podcasts, um, and uh, those that aren't working are getting canceled. And you know, they're, they're listing some of the companies that um, delve into the podcasting realm, such as Spotify, such as Amazon, Sirius XM, and iHeart Media, uh, who uh, no longer just labels themselves as billboards and radio. They they're more of a media company. And they've gotten into uh, podcasting and everything. And, of course, once upon a time, iHeart was Clear Channel. And um, Rob Roop and I, he and I were co-workers for 10 years. He was my co-best man at my wedding. 
very fun dude to talk to in terms of radio. The guy is a walking encyclopedia of, like, Indiana radio. Guy knows his stuff. And uh, we talked about the Telecom Act of 96 and how it opened up the floodgates for ownership because it used to be you were capped as to how many uh, television stations, FM stations, and AM stations you can own nationally. Now, there is no such cap. I think there is sort of, in terms of cities, like how many you can own per city. Uh, but in terms of nationally, it was just off the charts. And so a, a company like Clear Channel did buy a shitload of radio stations. Um, the thing is, is when they started doing this, they didn't take into account that, okay, you're going to buy some radio stations that performed very well. But if you buy a cluster of stations, some of those stations will do well, and some of those stations will suck when it comes to ratings. So some of these, so to get as much money as they wanted, you know, they would have to, you know, cut costs and everything. And the other thing too, Rob and I talked about was the fact that these uh, companies were overpaying for radio stations. Great for any ownership that's like trying to get out of the radio business and thinking, hey, we can make some money by selling this stuff. Um, but uh, like, like, whoa, whoa, 1190 here in Fort Wayne, which has got over 90 years of heritage, very popular station. Uh, it sold for like, uh, and I don't know if it was the current ownership or an ownership company before them that paid $10 million for it back in the late 90s. But uh, Rob told me that's way too much for a station, even for whoa, whoa. So, you know, you had all these radio station companies, you know, buying up all these stations, banking on the fact that if we can get the revenue up, 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 the ratings up, 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 we'll make all our money back. And lo and behold, a company like iHeart uh, got into about $20 billion with a B damn dollars in debt. And, of course, they, they keep um, going to bankruptcy court and getting things restructured and uh, avoid making that final decision. And that's what we kind of have right now with podcasting. Uh, you have these companies. I mean, look, Joe Rogan does okay for himself and Spotify. I think Spotify just carries it. But, uh, you know, it's still Rogan's baby, and, you know, he's getting paid a buttload of money by Spotify. But, you know, you have all these other companies buying up these podcasts and not understanding how to make money with these podcasts. You know, it, like, they don't know how to reach their customer base. They don't know how to make that money back. They don't know how to quantify advertising. And so, even with the not a recession recession we're in, they're, they're still, they, they would have struggled with this anyway. And, and I'll give you an example, too. Uh, Matt Toluto, uh, gas man, he's no longer down at 96 Rock in uh, Cincinnati Cumulus. Um... I could tell that this was not his call, that this had the um, the inklings of national social media directors and podcast directors. Uh, if you need to know one thing about rock music format, it's predominantly male, 2554, and usually most of the rock fans are white. And I'm not saying, you know, there's anything wrong with being someone who isn't white that likes rock music. In fact, I, I applaud you. You know, we like the same bands, hopefully. Hopefully you're not like, a, you know, a Slipknot fan. No, not Slipknot. Um, I like Slipknot. Uh, it's late. 
a Machine Gun Kelly fan. I was thinking of the Corey Taylor <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly um, feud. Um, but anyway, I'm getting off track. But uh, you know, it's in Cincinnati, just across the river from Kentucky. And I remember going to the 96 Rock Facebook page one day and seeing an ad for a podcast ad for Torre, uh, who uh, is very, very, very race card based. If you know anything about the guy, and I'm thinking, yeah, that ad is going to play well with that rock audience. They're they were go, and I'm, I think they did this across all their freaking stations. Like they just, okay, we're going to pro, uh, nationally plug this one guy, this one podcast across all formats, and that's going to work. And it doesn't. So these big companies are kind of running into the same roadblock that they've had uh, in in radio. It's crazy. Um, but rest assured, uh, I, I, I'm not going to stop doing my podcast because nobody, nobody in their right mind would pay me to do this anyway. <laughs> uh, you can read more up on this. Uh, and again, I got linked up already on the Mike Davidson Facebook page. Speaking of Rogan, uh, he called out Joe, Ro- uh, not G- Joe Rogan called out Joe Rogan. You see how this podcast is going tonight? I'm tripping over my tongue and my brain. No, he, uh, in a recent podcast, Joe Rogan experience kind of called out Howard Stern. I forget who he was in studio with, but basically he's, he pretty much said that Howard Stern has gone woke. You know, he used to be cutting edge, and, you know, he used to be the man, and now, and, and he's right, he's pretty much woke, and he's only doing a show three days a week, and he takes summer vacation, and he never leaves his mansion, and he bitches when Oprah has parties because that's going to kill a bunch of people. I don't know what's going on with that guy. Uh, but the guest basically says, well, he kind of has to be woke because he's got skeletons in his closet. And I'm thinking, therein lies the rub, because uh, Howard used to do a lot of edgy things, and now he doesn't want to be called out on that. But, you know, he's about 70, and he's got a buttload of money. He's on Sirius XM. Um, I can understand Howard kind of growing away from some of the more juvenile things he did in his career. But now he's calling out people for just living their lives and, uh, you know, not taking COVID seriously, even though it's basically done at least the pandemic aspect of COVID. So Joe Rogan's right. Howard Stern is not who he was. And it's kind of sad because, you know, you either uh, die a shock jock or you live long enough to see yourself become part of the establishment. And Howard is now part of the establishment. You know, we all know he's there and he's not going anywhere until, you know, he kicks off from this, uh, this planet one day. So there's that. Uh, also, I guess in the upcoming 60 Minutes, um, Sunday on CBS, legendary rock producer Rick Rubin, uh, he talked, you know, rock and rap. He's done a bunch of great albums in both genres, and he did some stuff with Johnny Cash. I mean, the guy worked with everybody from Run DMC, Public Enemy, and Beastie Boys to the Chili Peppers and uh, Metallica. And he's even done some stuff with, you know, like I said, Johnny Cash. I mean, he's done it all. But he base, he said, and this kind of stunned Anderson Cooper and me a little bit, but not so much. He says he knows nothing about music. He knows nothing about technical, technical aspects of the studio. Which is kind of a good thing because uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of his albums are a little more stripped down. There's not a lot of... Um, he, he's... He's kind of the antithesis of the old uh, Phil Spector wall of sound thing. He doesn't he doesn't have a bunch of things in there. He doesn't have a bunch of backing vocals. He wants bands to be the best version of themselves. And there's a lot of know-it-all producers. 
And again, Steve and I, um, uh, when we were doing our year in rock, referring to the old Frank Zappa interview, you know, you get these know-it-all producers and executives that are like, hey, I, I know what the kids want. They, you know, I'm with it. And, and they don't give a damn about the band's sound. Yeah, Rick Rubin is the antithesis of that. And so when he says this, uh, I guess, shocking thing, it doesn't shock me. And besides, he can say he doesn't know anything all he wants. He knows more about rock music than... Um, uh, then uh, what's his nuts? Uh, Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> no, I was not going to say Corey Taylor. Although, I guess uh, Taylor and Rick Rubin had to be a few years back uh, with the Slipknot uh, album. I think it was Volume 3. Yeah, like uh, Rick was uh, not quite there as often as Corey would want. Of course, Corey's kind of a hands-on guy too. So, <sighs> well, he's, Rick Rubin's not for everybody. Uh, just like uh, this new Velma reboot is not for anybody on HBO Max. Uh, Mindy Kaling, kind of wrap it up with this one, kind of uh, poking at her hypocrisy here. You know, they, they, you know, she's now Velma, and of course Velma's now Indian. Daphne's half Japanese. Uh, Shaggy is black, and Fred is uh, Fred is stupid. But they they decided to do kind of an adult humor. Uh, type of cartoon reboot of this series and make it more of like Scream instead of like Scooby-Doo and critics left and right are just bashing the living hell out of this uh, the right says uh, yeah, this is what happens when you go woke and the left is like well the jokes are too hateful to be woke maybe maybe the right and left just agree on one thing here man that this Velma thing sucks and Mindy Kaling I mean uh, I said it, it's kind of hypocritical, and it is because here's I, I remember when the, that stupid documentary, the problem with the poo, came out from that one comedian that was having a sad, and there and it, you had all these people bitching about how a poo was voiced by Hank Azaria on The Simpsons, and he was a stereotype, um, and so that ultimately the 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 pressure and the whiners on Twitter led to. Hank Azaria stepping away as a Pooh, and I don't know if they do the character anymore or not on The Simpsons because I haven't watched uh, since uh, 99 on a regular basis. But, you know, here she is. She's complaining about this and and, um, and just uh, talking about how it's very offensive to her. And uh, here she is. She takes another property and makes it offensive to Scooby-Doo fans. Just just so she can make these jokes that nobody is laughing at. Like, and I don't think she ever, I don't know, like, when I watched The Simpsons and I saw Pooh, I did, I, yeah, I saw him as a, a slight stereotype, but I also knew he was a great character and he was just, you know, a lot of fun to watch, as opposed to whatever the hell they're doing with Velma, where they just make everybody but her stupid. And, and there's no Scooby-Doo in this thing either. So, yeah, uh, so I, I, I doubt this thing's going to be a season two. They, they just make shows to piss off fans now. They don't give a shit what you want to see. All right, that's about it for me. Uh, and uh, the rain's continuing. But uh, until next time, stay fresh. She's back. You've been listening to Mike Davidson Live. Be sure to check him out on social media. Like him at Facebook.com backslash M. Davidson Live. Follow him on Twitter. Look for at Davidson Live. 